Thank you for joining us today for the Oakwood Baptist Church podcast. This episode was recorded at the Home Builder Sunday School class, which Pastor Jones teaches at Oakwood. The lessons are taken from the book, The Ministry of Marriage by Jim Benny. Colossians chapter 3, look at uh, verse 12, please. It says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. I want to focus on that expression there, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I want to speak to you this morning on how to forgive. Um, Of course, we could spend weeks just on forgiveness. Uh, This will not be an exhaustive lesson. But I think it's a necessary lesson when you consider the marriage relationship. Probably no other relationship has as much potential for anger as marriage does. Um, it does not, here's why, it doesn't allow us to hide our weaknesses. You know, when it comes to me and you, I can, I can put on a front about my weaknesses. Now again, the longer you're around me, the more you're exposed to me, you will pick up on them and you will see them. But when it comes to marriage, there's no hiding them. There's no hiding them. Um, I can try to impress you and put my best foot forward, but in marriage, that again, that just ends up going out the window. What it also does is marriage exposes us to the, the pressure of stressful moments. Um, we see that front and center. Um, and so therefore, it can be a fertile soil for anger and, and therefore also unforgiveness. Now, there are many things that can plant the seeds of bitterness in marriage. And this can lead somebody saying something like this. I know I'm supposed to forgive, but how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I go about doing that? Because it's one thing to tell a person what they ought to do. It's another thing to actually do that. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a great quote. It says this, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen that. Listen, there's there's not anybody in this room that wouldn't say that it's the Christian thing, the biblical thing, the right thing to forgive. And they would say that all day long until they have to forgive. And then when you say, well, hey, I, I tell you, I, I think you're bitter or I think you're, you're wrong in this area. Well, you don't know what I've been through. And, and, and boy, they can flip a switch real quick. Um, and I, th- I think there's some real accuracy to that quote. Um, but again, it's, it's one thing to tell somebody this is what you ought to do. It's another thing to show them how to do this. Now, uh, that's where our lesson comes in today. The essence of the Christian life is to be like Christ, isn't it? Um, I read that in my devotions today in the book of Galatians, that we're to uh, be more and more like Him. And the essence, again, of the Christian life is to be like Christ. The Bible teaches us, as He is holy, so be ye holy, in all manner of conversation. Remember, conversation's not just your dialogue. It's the way you live your life. So we have been stressing so far in a series of these lessons that um, Jesus is our model for love, and we've been really talking about what love is. But he is also the model of our forgiveness. We saw that in verse 13 of our text here. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So what I'm getting at today is the key to forgiveness is to understand how Jesus forgave 
and then emulate those things in your life, specifically in your marriage. Because there is no greater picture of forgiveness than the cross. So let's just look at a couple of things about the cross as we are looking how to do it. Okay, that's, that's the idea here. Again, not exhaustive. Um, this is not necessarily as practical as far as, you know, step one, here's what you do when you forgive, step two. But, but I want you to get the idea of what Jesus did, how he handled this when he was on the cross. All right, number one, I want you to see this. He suffered for the sins of other people. I think that's really key. And the reason it's key is because it's generally understood that you should suffer for the consequences of your own actions. Now, again, I, I think as Americans, we, we struggle with that one, but I think in our core, we understand that one, right? We would say things like this, do, do the crime, do the time. Or we'd say, you made your bed, you got to lie in it. We, we live in a, at least we're supposed to, or we have con, uh, traditionally and culturally lived in a meritocracy, meaning... You know, if you work hard, you get the benefits. If you're lazy, you get the, the consequences. We kind of understand that. So, so there's, there's a root of understanding that when we sin, we should suffer the repercussions and the consequences of, of, of our sin. But I'll tell you something that really, really rubs us the wrong way is why should I suffer for somebody else's problem? We find that repulsive. We, we find that really contrary to our nature that I should have to do that. Um, but, but understand, in our, in our text here, it says, and you hath he forgiven you all trespasses. Uh, it goes on to talk about blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you. You understand, Jesus suffered not for his sins. He suffered for our sins. Um, remember, we love that expression, and we should love that expression, when Jesus said, uh, it is finished. He said that on the cross, right? Remember the Roman law, what would happen is when somebody was executed, they would, they would write the offense on, on the cross. Uh, they would write the offense maybe on a piece of paper. There was, there was some kind of documentation as to what you had done. I mean, I don't know if you ever, sometimes you see this show up on the internet, some, some mom's trying to teach their son a lesson. He's standing on the street corner and says, you know, I steal things or something like that and trying to punish him that way. Well, that's, that's what the Roman government do. You know, if you were a thief, they'd identify you as one, and this is why you are paying for your crimes. Well, remember Jesus, they did hang a placard on his cross, and uh, remember, Pilate says, I find no fault in him. So what did they do? They, they hung up there, king of the Jews. That's, they were basically saying that, that was his crime. The Jews didn't like this, and so this is, this is what, what was happening. Uh, but remember, what would happen is if... if if you paid for your offense, obviously not capital punishment, but if there, was, if there was a payment for your offense, they would write on it to telestai, which is the Greek form of it is finished. And so you would have this documentation like, yes, okay, I offended here, but, but I have paid my debt to society. This has been taken care of. And so that was the significance of Jesus saying it is finished. It was proof of restitution. And so... Here's the point I, I really want us to understand today. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And what a wonderful uh, thought that that is, that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But please do not lose uh, sight of the fact that he died for your sins. He died for my sins. And I think that that's significant. Um, his willingness to suffer was not limited to him, 
but it is something that must be emulated by his followers. We, we must be able to and willing to, by his grace, suffer for the offenses of others. And sometimes we're, we're not willing to do that. And I would say to you, and I know this is maybe, maybe a more forceful statement, but to refuse to do so, I think you could say is the height of arrogance. That we would enjoy forgiveness from him for our sins. He is going to suffer for my offenses, but I will not suffer for anyone's offenses. Again, that's, that's kind of a, a, the, the height of arrogance. Because remember what Jesus said to us. This is really significant. He said, the servant is not greater than the master. The servant is not greater than the Lord. And so he's basically saying, if I have to deal with this, and you're going to follow me, then, then how can you uh, assume that it's going to be easier for you? How can you assume that you're not going to have to deal with what I have uh, dealt with? And so, again, what causes a person whose sins nailed Jesus to the cross and then rejoices in his merciful forgiveness and turns in anger towards their, their spouse, what causes that is pride. And in fact, Jesus gave a parable about that. Some of you will remember it in Matthew chapter 18. He, we often call it the parable of the unmerciful servant. You're, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. Uh, remember, this man is in debt, and, and really, Jesus is the master storyteller. And he... He uses hyperbole. You understand hyperbole is, is great exaggeration. I mean, gross exaggeration for the sake of a point. And he says there's this man and he, you know, there's some debate on what, what the debt was. But either way, the, the hyperbole in the, in the story is that, that it's a debt of such significance that it, it just, it's, it can't be paid. Um, and so he runs into some kind of government official and there's some debate. Is it a billion dollars? Is it, you know, a hundred million dollars? I mean, either way, uh, let, let's say it's a hundred million dollars. I mean, as I'm looking around the room, I mean, unless I'm, I'm just totally clueless about something, I doubt if you had to pay a hundred million dollars today, right now, before the hour is up, I, I don't know anybody in this room would be able to do that. And he begs and pleads, and the guy says, listen, I'm just going to wipe the debt away. Don't worry about it. Could you imagine that? And he turns around promptly and meets his friend who owes him 15 bucks. And he, and he literally lays his hands on him and gets violent with him. I want my money now. When the king finds out about it, he's, of course, he's very upset and says, how dare you? You know, I wrote off your, your debt at $100 million, and here you are uh, uh, going to law against somebody who owes you 15 bucks. I mean, what is wrong with you? And again, the hyperbole of that, of that lesson, I think, is a message we can all clearly understand. How can I, who, who is relieved of a debt I could never pay, how can I refuse to forgive someone who, who can alleviate that debt in their repentance towards me? Like, like how, how is that possible? And I think that the parable maybe suggests that the greater sin is refusing to forgive after we've been forgiven. Now, I think that that's the point here when we talk about being willing to suffer the sins, uh, 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 for, the, for the sins of others. 
is here's a thought, and I'll leave you with this. The beginning of Christ-like forgiveness is to emulate his, his willingness to forgive. Because I'll, I'll talk more about that, but remember when he was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for thou knowest not what they do. I don't believe Jesus was, was necessarily for, forgiving them at that moment. I think he was willing to forgive them, even the ones that pierced his hands, even the ones that drove the spikes, even the ones that put him on the cross. He said, I'm willing to forgive, yes, even them. You say, why don't you believe he, for, he forgave them? Well, listen, if that was true there, if he just spoke some magic words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, then that, we would have to be universalists. There is no forgiveness without repentance. Okay, and I want to give you a Bible verse for that. Luke 17, 3 says, If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. Okay, so the idea there is we should always stand ready to forgive. Always ready to forgive. Anyone, anything, anytime. That's Christ-likeness. But there cannot be proper reconciliation. There cannot be proper restoration without repentance. And I, I, I think I'm right on this. Study the Bible and see if you find any instance where there's forgiveness or reconciliation without repentance. I, I don't know that you're going to see that. I, I have not discovered that. Okay? So, so again, Jesus suffered for the sins of others and he was willing and ready to forgive. Uh, number two, I like this. He prayed for his enemies. Uh, isn't that what Jesus taught us to do in his, in his words, in, in his Sermon on the Mount? Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Again, we already made reference to where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What's he doing? He's praying for his enemies. He's praying for those that are doing him wrong. And so within that simple prayer, there are principles that make a model for us. Um, think about this today. He appealed to God on their behalf. So let's put that, let's put that application in, into our marriages. Who better to pray for your enemy, even if at the moment you are considering your mate to be your enemy? Who better to pray for their enemy than you, the one that's been the eyewitness of their failure? You should be praying for them. Uh, guys, understand this. It's more than an opportunity to pray for your enemy. It's a responsibility to. It's a responsibility that many of us at times have shirked. And what we do is sometimes we justify our neglect, we justify our, our, our lack of prayer for our enemies on, uh, based on our pain, the unfairness of it all, sometimes even the need for revenge, and we just kind of justify our, our lack of responsibility. Let me, let me just, again, I think these are great prayers to pray. Uh, you, you should pray, God, change my heart and help them to respond properly to me. I think that's just a great prayer that I've learned to adopt and pray in my own life, in my own marriage, with my own children, with my own uh, responsibilities. God, help my heart to change and help them to respond properly to me. That prayer fits in a lot of, lot of places. If I'm the offender, help my heart to change and help them to respond properly to my offenses. If they're the offender, God, help my heart to change with resentfulness and anger and bitterness and help them to respond properly to my love and to my prayers. You, you understand that? It's just, a, it's just a good prayer to pray. 
in a prayer that we, we have a responsibility to pray. How about this? He focused on their weaknesses instead of their wickedness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He focused on their weakness instead of their wickedness. He chose to look at the degree of their innocence instead of the degree of their guilt. And, and really, their innocence was found in their ignorance. Now think about it. If you could freeze frame the typical hurtful action uh, that somebody has acted toward you, and you asked, why are you doing this? I, I think the answer a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times would be, I don't know. You ever done that with one of your kids? I, I have, you know, my kids are older now. I don't mean they don't do stupid things. But, you know, why did you flush that down the toilet? I don't know. You, you understand? I mean, like when they're toddlers and they do some of the stuff that they do, like you, you're very tempted to ask them, why'd you do that? And they're going to look at you and, it, it, and listen, if you're like me, it's going to make you mad. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You did it, didn't you? Uh-huh. Why? I don't know. You know like, it's going to make you mad. But honestly, I think sometimes they're telling you the truth. They don't know why they just did that. And listen, our stupidity doesn't totally leave us when we turn 21. In fact, I think we can make an argument, well, there's another level of stupidity that hits us when we turn 21. Right? And so here you are, you've been married for maybe seven, eight years, and, 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 and boy, the, uh, there's some kind of conflict that goes on, and you're tempted to go, why'd you do that? Why'd you say that? And, and, and in many cases, they don't know. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. But they know not what they do. Their ignorance is, is a lot of their problem. You know, when you see the offender's weakness, maybe you want to evaluate it. I don't think this is an exhaustive list of questions, but why don't you ask this question? How hard did he or she try not to sin? I'm not saying that they didn't sin, or, you, you know, and I'm not saying that it's a justification, but, but can't you say, well, you know, I will give them a little bit of an E for effort on that one. What, what was the power or, of the forces that were assailing? To what degree has he or she suffered as a result of their sin? What particular influences made them vulnerable to this sin? How about this question? What would we have done under similar circumstances? I know that's a hard question to answer because you, you don't always know what you would do. You know, like we love to say that, well, if that was me. Like, honestly, you don't always know what you would do under the same circumstances. But can't you learn to... Maybe give a little sympathy there and focus on their weaknesses instead of their wickedness. That's a good, good thought. How about this? He desired restoration, not retaliation. I mean, there's that old Southern Gospel song, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels. There was a man in my church in North Carolina who used to sing that. He wasn't the greatest singer in the world, but he sang with a lot of gusto. And he would sing that song, and it would bless my heart to hear him sing that song. But the truth is, if you want to be technical, if you want to be nitpicky, and I sometimes like to do that, just get nitpicky about, about things, you know, like uh, when the roll is called up yonder, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning uh, breaks, breaks eternal bright and fair. You know, you know there's, there's some wrong eschatology in that song if you really pay attention to it. 
You know, you've heard me, if you read your Bible in the book of Revelation, it talks about the street of gold, not streets of gold. So I always sing it singular anytime we sing one of those songs because, you know, we've got to be biblically right here, you know. Um, he could have called 10,000 angels. Actually, the Bible talks about how he could have called uh, legions of angels, and that would be 72,000. But 72,000 just doesn't fit like 10,000, you know. You, you try and sing it that way. But you think about it, if he could have called 72, a legion of angels, 72,000 angels to deliver him, think about in uh, 2 Kings 19, one angel, one angel destroyed and killed 185,000 Assyrians. One. Could you imagine the devastation and destruction 72,000 angels uh, could have wreaked havoc? And the truth of the matter is, is when we remember Jesus wouldn't have even needed the help of angels he is greater than all of the angels combined. He created them. You, you, you understand, Jesus' desire was not retaliation. If that was his desire, he would have done so. His desire was reconciliation. And I'm afraid sometimes when people are at conflict, at odds with one another, they get their goals mixed up. Sometimes our goal is to be heard. Sometimes our goal is to make them hurt the way they made us hurt. Sometimes our goal is to get the last word in. Sometimes our, our goal is to, to dig in our heels and win. You, you know, get your goals right. Our goal ought to always be reconciliation. Why? Because we're supposed to forgive like Jesus forgives. All right, here's a third thought. I got about two minutes. He envisioned God's higher purpose in allowing his pain. And listen, you're going to see that throughout the Bible, aren't you? Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Meaning there was a higher aim in what he was doing. You see this played out in Joseph's life, don't you? Joseph said, you meant it unto evil. But God meant it unto good. What he was saying was there was a higher purpose in all of this. A higher purpose in all of this. You know, if there's an answer to suffering and pain, to unfairness in life, it is to possess a clear vision of a higher purpose for the pain. Think about this, guys. If you never experience pain, you can never experience God's comfort. And as I go around this room, there isn't a single person in this room that hasn't at some time in your life felt the warmth and the comfort and the help of God. And you would have never felt that had you not experienced pain in your life. We've got to learn to somehow look at pain in some ways as a blessing because of what it can ultimately bring. I, I recently, or not recently, years ago, I read a book. This was years ago by Tony Dungy, the, the Super Bowl winning coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And I would, I would encourage you, he's written two or three books. I, I, I've read them all, I believe, and I would encourage you to read him. He's a fascinating guy, very outspoken Christian, very outspoken Christian, and seems, from, from all I can tell, the real deal. I mean, you know, there's some guys in sports and, and politics and stuff that, that you kind of question a little bit. I, I think this guy is really legitimately authentic. Well, he adopted some children, and one of the children he adopted has a rare disorder where they cannot feel pain. Like they could grab the burner of the stove, and, and it would do damage to them, but, it, but they would not feel it. It's a, it's a very rare disorder, and this child has it. 
And he talks, he, he makes the same application in this book that I'm making here. He uses that illustration and he talks about how difficult that is. How difficult it is because they can hurt themselves and be seriously injured or bleeding and, and, and not even realize it. And uh, he, he basically talks about how pain is, is, a, is a gift in some ways. Um, because it, it teaches us to fear the right things and it teaches us to fix things when they're wrong. Um, so, so again, Jesus could forgive sin because he never lost sight of the higher call of God in his life. So let's wrap up there. If your life is to prosper, if your marriage is to enjoy the blessings of God, the beginning place is to forgive as Christ forgave you. And let's do what the Bible teaches us. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So let's practice that this week, okay? Unfortunately, because we live in a sinful world, we will have an opportunity to practice this. Let's make sure that we do it, okay? I appreciate you. God bless you. You're dismissed.